The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We begin a Christmas series today, thinking about Christmas villages. And uh, when you find Luke, chapter 1, please stand up and we'll show our respect for the reading of God's Word. On the 26th of December, Lord willing, Mary and I will be leaving with a group from our church and some from other churches uh, going back to Israel for our second visit. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to visit those places in Israel uh, that we'll be going to see that are mentioned in the Christmas story. And normally when I preached a series on this, I would start in Nazareth because that's where the angel appeared to Mary. But the Christmas story actually started before that in Jerusalem, and that's what we're going to read today. So let's see the story of Jerusalem, Christ is coming from Luke 1, 1 through 25. This is the word of the living God. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer." He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. 
he has looked with favor in these days to take my disgrace, to take away my disgrace among the people. May God add the blessings of, to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, as you look at the Christmas story, it's obvious that uh, the Christmas story is all about people. And it begins with, begins with a priest in the temple serving God. And we're told here where the place was. It says it was the sanctuary of the Lord. Now, there was a temple complex that sat on the top of Mount Moriah. And this temple complex covered many acres. And he was ministering in what is called the sanctuary. His job, he was chosen by lot. They cast lots. Certain priests were on duty at certain times during the year. And it came to pass that when Zechariah was there, it was his duty and his lot fell to go in and burn incense on the incense altar. He did not go inside the Holy of Holies because only the high priest went in there only on the Day of Atonement and only with a blood sacrifice to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. But he was ministering in what is called the holy place, not the holy of holies, outside the veil of the holy of holies in the holy place. And he went in there to burn the incense. And the Bible tells us it happened in the sanctuary of the Lord. Now the first time we find anything about this place is in Genesis 22, 1 through 2. Well, there's one mention before uh, about it, and I, and I want to just be honest with you and tell you, when I was preparing this message, it kind of slipped my mind, but I went back and refreshed my memory. Uh, there's a story a little earlier in Genesis where Abram, at that time, who was not the father of Isaac, he had fathered uh, Ishmael, but he'd not fathered Isaac. Uh, he went to war to rescue his nephew Lot, and he conquered a bunch of kings from the north, and he took a bunch of uh, spoil from them. And when he got to a place called Salem, he met a mysterious man named Melchizedek. I love Melchizedek. Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis and in Hebrews. And in, in Genesis, it says he was a priest of God most high. And that's, by the way, that's the first time in the Bible you find the word tithe mentioned. Uh, when Abram saw Melchizedek, he gave him 10% of everything that he had. And the, the term king of Salem, literally in Hebrew, is king of shalom, king of peace. And later on, the place where Melchizedek was from became known as Yerushalom, city of peace. And so it was in the days of Abraham and Isaac that he was sent back to that place where Melchizedek was from. And on top of the Temple Mount, which is also called Mount Moriah, he took Isaac and laid him on a stone there and an altar there and was going to sacrifice him and he lifted the old sacrificial knife up and as he, he was about to plunge it into Isaac's chest. And by the way, that's the first place in the Bible the word love is mentioned. Isn't it something that it doesn't talk about God loving a world? It doesn't talk about a man loving a wife. It talks about a father loving his son. And in fact, God said to, to Abram, take, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. And that's the first time love is found in the Bible. And he did love that son. But God had commanded he be sacrificed. He was willing to obey. And so it was on the stone on top of Mount Moriah that he was about to sacrifice his son. But an angel cried out, stop, don't hurt the lad. And the Bible says he looked over and there was a ram caught in the bushes. And he told Isaac, God has provided a sacrifice. Mount Moriah was the same place where God's son would hang on a rough, rugged cross. 
suspended between heaven and earth, paying the sacrifice for our sins, God told Abraham he was just testing him. But God proved his love for us by allowing his only begotten son to die on the cross, not for any crimes that he had done, but for my sins and your sins. So the temple was on Mount Moriah. We also find that later on in the Old Testament, it was known as the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And David wanted to make an offering there. And Arona said, well, my, my king, you can have that threshing floor. I'll be glad to give it to you. And David said to him, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And so he paid Arona for the threshing floor and for the sacrifice he offered. And it was known in those days as the threshing floor. But then in the days of Solomon, the son of David, the most beautiful building in the ancient world was constructed. Solomon's temple was built there. We're told about it in 2 Chronicles 3.1. It was so majestic that people would travel from all over the world just to see it. It had shields of solid gold which outlined the top and when the sun would shine, it would be reflected off those shields of solid gold. And it was the house of God. And it was venerated by the Jewish people. God's presence was there. In fact, old Ezekiel saw the Spirit of the Lord depart from the temple. One of the saddest passages in the Old Testament. Ezekiel said, I saw the Spirit of the Lord depart from the temple. That was the first temple. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And then a temple was built under Ezra. King Cyrus, the king of Persia, allowed the Jews to go back to Israel and inhabit Jerusalem again. And Cyrus said, we're going to help you build a temple. And that temple was built and dedicated during Ezra's time in Jerusalem. And then that temple stood there. But many times it was desecrated. One time a pagan king went in and sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. And that was an unclean thing. And it was rededicated several times. But then in the time of Herod the Great, he decided he wanted to build the temple. And Rome allowed him to build a temple. And that is the temple where Zechariah was serving. The same place after all these years. And that temple was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. If you go to Jerusalem today, you'll not see one vestige of any temple save Solomon's. The western wall, the foundation wall of the western wall, some people call it the wailing wall. All that's left of the magnificent temple that Solomon built in his day. Now the Bible says there'll be another temple. The Bible says there'll be a temple built during the tribulation. And that temple will also be violated by a pagan, by the Antichrist. But that's the place we're talking about, the sanctuary of the Lord. And then notice the priest. This was something that happened every day. Priests would go in and out of the temple at times of prayer, and they would go in and out of the temple with showbread, and they would go in and out of the temple to wash, and they would go in and out of the temple to burn incense. And it fell that day to Zechariah to burn incense. And there was an appointed time, and he was supposed to go in and offer up the incense and then come out. He didn't come out for a long time. The Bible says there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah, 
His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Notice this, both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. They were both from the priestly line. And Zechariah was serving as a priest on this day, and he went in there to burn incense. And notice that they were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. That does not mean they were sinless. There's only been one sinless person that ever lived. That was the Lord Jesus. But it meant that they had a heart for God. I wonder this morning how many of us have come into this place of worship with a heart for God today. I wonder how many of us have have laid aside our burdens and said, God, I have come into your presence today and I only want to focus on you and I only want to hear from you and I only want to commune with you. Yes, I'll fellowship with my brothers and sisters, but God, I've come into your house this morning and I want to hear a word from you. Zechariah was doing what a priest should do, burning incense on the altar of incense. Notice what their names mean. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. I've been teaching on the minor prophets for some time. We'll finish that study this Wednesday night with Malachi. There, when I came to Zechariah and the minor prophets, Zechariah and Zechariah are, are very similar. In fact, there are at least 34 people named Zechariah or Zechariah in the Bible. And it was a common name, especially when a male child was born. Now, ladies, I, I, I want you to understand this. I love ladies. I, I don't believe women are second-class citizens. I'm thankful to God that the Christmas story involved women in every part of it. It involves Elizabeth. It involves Mary. It involves Anna in the temple. God loves godly women. And a godly woman, her price, the Bible says, is far above rupees. But notice that Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. When a male child was born, they would say, Yahweh has remembered us. He's given us a male child. A male child was important because a male child would, of course, carry on the family line. A male child would give them an heir. A male child would give them someone to take their father's place, just as Jesus was trained in the carpenter shop by Joseph, even though he was much more than a carpenter. He trained under his father, his earthly father, Joseph, in the carpenter shop. And so Zechariah had wanted a child and would love to have had a son. In fact, his name means Yahweh remembers. And look at Elizabeth. She was a worshiper of God. And so these were two devout people. Of all the people in Israel, it had been hard to find a more devout couple than Zechariah and Elizabeth. But notice the problem. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. You know, when God wants to do something, many times he sends a child. God wanted to release his people from bondage. What did he do? He sent Moses. When God was ready to redeem the world, what did he do? He sent his son, born not of a human father, but a heavenly father, but an earthly mother. Paul says that he was born of a woman born under the law, and he was born according to God's plan, according to God's timetable. But their problem was they had no heir. Not only did they not have an heir, but they had no one to continue on the priesthood on both sides of the family. If they had had a daughter, she could not have served as a priest. When Elizabeth was from a priestly family as well, this 
child, the male child, would obviously born to be, be born to be a priest. And then, and then look at the last thing. Infertility was considered a curse from God in the ancient world. You know, some people still feel that way today. Let me, let me tell you what blessed me last Sunday. We had our semi-annual baby dedication last Sunday. Had a bunch of babies to dedicate. And I loved every one of them. Every one of those babies is special. But there was a little baby that was down here that was being adopted by a single mom. And I want to say this. I want our church to become known as a haven for single parents, whether it's single moms or single dads. Because I want to tell you, if you're a single mom or a single dad, you, you've got a heavy load on you. And we as a church ought to reach out to you. Uh, single moms ought to be able to bring their children here to this church and know that this church is going to provide godly role models for them. Godly men that will show boys how to grow into manhood. And godly women that will teach girls to grow into biblically correct wives and mothers. But that little baby was adopted by a single mom and the adoption came through on Friday before we had baby dedication on Sunday. Listen, folks, my hat's off to those who are foster parents. My hat's off to because they, they open their homes and their hearts and they bring in children that either their parents don't want them or their parents don't care for them. And it's not that child's fault. But that child has a stigma. God bless people who open their homes as foster parents. And God bless people who open their homes as adoptive parents. I salute them. I encourage them. What a blessing they are. And we need to be an encouragement to them. Infertility was considered to be a curse. But it was not always God's will for everybody to marry. It wasn't God's will for Jesus to marry. It wasn't God's will for John the Baptist to marry. It wasn't God's will that they have natural children. They fulfilled God's plan for their lives as single adults. Nothing wrong with that's God's plan. But they had no children. They were both on in years. And then notice the promise. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. Now you think about it. In fact, some of the people later on in this passage say, Hey, when you have a son, name him Zechariah. Name him Zechariah. And he said, no, his name's John. First words he said, his name's John. His name's not going to be Zechariah. God said, no, his name is John. What does the name John mean? It means the Lord is gracious. Now, this birth was a miracle. It wasn't as great a miracle as the virgin birth. But I'm sure if you asked Elizabeth and Zechariah, it was a miraculous birth. Same way if you ask Ab Abram and, and Sarai, was the birth of Isaac a miracle? Absolutely it was. Not as great a miracle as the virgin birth. But God was going to send a man named John. In fact, in John chapter 1, John the Apostle says of John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest introductions you could ever be given. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let me challenge you men here, us men. The greatest thing we can be known as is not wealthy people, not intelligent people, not super people, but people who serve the living God. 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And John means the Lord is gracious. Notice where the message came from. It was an angelic message. An angel of the Lord. When that angel appeared, isn't that something? He was in the temple where the presence of God was supposed to be. And in the, pre in the temple where the presence of God was supposed to be, an angel shows up while he's burning incense on the incense altar. And at first it just says an angel of the Lord. But then he introduced himself. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to tell, to, to you, speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now the word Gabriel means mighty one of God. In all the Bible, there are only two angels mentioned by name. One of them shares my name. My name is Michael. And the name Michael in Hebrew means who is like to the Lord, who is like unto the Lord. And that's what the angel Michael does. He, he's kind of a warrior angel. He says, no one is like the Lord. I stand for the Lord and I come against the hosts of evil in the name of the Lord. He's the warrior angel, but Gabriel's the messenger angel. Every time you see Gabriel in the Bible, he's on, he's on a mission from God to bring a message. And his name means mighty one of God. And Gabriel had not appeared on the earth since he had appeared to Daniel 500 years before. For 500 years, there'd been no angelic message. For 400 years, there'd been no prophetic message. Malachi prophesied. And then there was 400 years of silence from heaven. And then Gabriel was sent to the temple to Zechariah. Notice he says, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. This means he had a special vow. This is the Nazarite vow. A Nazarite would not drink strong drink. A Nazarite would not allow their hair to be cut. A Nazarite would not touch anything dead because it would defile them. Those were the three parts of the Nazarite vow. And we're told here, he will never drink wine or beer. And then notice this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Do you need more proof that life begins at conception than that? Oh, some people say, well, that's really not a baby. That's really not a person. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that was a person and that person was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. I'm tired of these liberals saying, oh, that's not a human being. That's just an embryo. I want to tell you when the miracle of fertilization takes place, God brings life and God is the giver of life. And we ought to serve him as if he were the giver of life. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. Oh, and then look, listen, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. You see, most of the worship in Israel was meaningless. It was ritual. They went through the motions. Oh, dear friend today, dear friend today, don't allow our worship of God to be just ritualistic. We need to know that God is alive and well and God gives hope to the hopeless and he gives help to the helpless and he gives love to the loveless and he is our loving Heavenly Father. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Who was this? It was John the Baptist. What was his message? His message was the kingdom of God is at hand. I hate pop tests. When I was in seminary, I'd go to class. 
almost every day in almost every class, we'd get in and sit down and the teacher would say, take out a half sheet of paper. I hated that. I, you know, I wanted to just scream, woe is me. I hate pop tests. When I got my doctor's degree, you know what I said? I'll tell you what I said. I said, I'm never going to take another pop test as long as I live. I've got a doctor's degree. I'm not ever going to take another pop test. I got elected to the board of trustees in Hornet Seminary. I went to my first seminary trustee meeting. They said, hey, we want y'all to go sit in the class. So I got a list. I thought, oh, here's a good class, Old Testament, Psalms. Oh, I want to hear that. So I show up to the old, I have never felt so old in my life. When you go in the class and you're older than the professor and you've got all these 20 and 30-something sitting around you, you feel old. And so they, they asked me who I was while I was there. I told them I was here for a trustee meeting. I was a new trustee. And the professor got up and said, take out a half sheet of paper. I said, not me, Buster. I'm a trustee. I've got a doctor's degree. Professor looked at me and he said, I'm going to ask our trustee to take out a half sheet of paper. I had one of two choices. I could honor the professor or I could be rebellious and say, I'm not going to do it, doc. I got a doctor's degree. You can't take it away from me. I'm not taking a pop test. You know what I did? I borrowed a half sheet of paper from, I didn't even have a half sheet of paper. And they gave me a, a pop test. Of course, I hadn't read the assignment because I didn't know I was going to be there till that morning. They asked five questions. I got four of them right. That's 80%. In seminary, that's only a C. Hey, I got four out of five. That ain't bad, okay? So I took the pop test. And I never will forget one of the, I guess one of the reasons I hate pop tests is one of our professors said, who was the last Old Testament prophet. Well, I've read the Bible. The last Old Testament prophet is Malachi. And so on my half sheet of paper while I was a student at New Orleans Seminary, I wrote down Malachi. And we exchanged papers because they wanted you to grade your buddy's paper and your buddy to grade your paper. So I handed my paper to my buddy and he handed me his. And so I was doing pretty good until that question. Who was the last Old Testament prophet? And the professor said, well, everybody knows that the last Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. I said, no, I wasn't. It's Malachi. And so I raised my hand. I said, wait, Mr. Professor. I said, I really thought the last Old Testament prophet was Malachi. He said, no. He said, you have to look at the prophetic message. What did the prophets say? Well, what did the prophets say? They said, the Messiah is coming. What did John the Baptist say? I've come to prepare a way for the Messiah to come. You ask me today who was the last Old Testament prophet, I can tell you. If you ever ask that on a pop quiz, here's the answer. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. It had been 400 years since Malachi had spoken. It had been 500 years since an angel had appeared to someone and given them a revelation from God. But now... In the temple, at the altar of incense, comes Gabriel to say, Here is going to come your son, who is going to prepare the people for the coming of God. 
And then notice what Jesus later said about John the Baptist, who was his cousin. Their mothers were related. Jesus said this, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now I want to tell you, I'm going to shout and ground right now. You say, why in the world are you going to shout and ground about that? Do you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? Did you get that? He said among everybody that's been born of a woman. Now let me ask you this. How many people have been born of a woman? Everybody that's been born. The only people that weren't born of a woman were Adam and Eve. God made them. The rest of us got here the same way. We came through our mother's womb. That's the only way you get here unless God made you in the Garden of Eden. But what did he say about him? He said among all the people ever born to women, John is the greatest. But then he said, but I tell you this, whoever is the least in the kingdom is greater than John. You may be here today and you may think, I'm a nobody. I'm a failure. I've had bad luck. My football team lost yesterday. You knew that was coming, didn't you? My football team did lose yesterday. Jacksonville State beat Sanford 55 to 14. <laughs> Broke my heart. There's another team I pulled for, I think lost a game last night somewhere. Somebody said, well, are you gonna let Auburn people rub it in? Yeah, they, they deserve to. They really do. I, I, I've congratulated every Auburn fan I've seen this morning. I'm gonna have to do that for the next 365 days. I'm not gonna like it, but I'm gonna have to do it. But you know what I said about that ball game before it was ever played? I said, 10,000 years from now, it won't make one bit of difference who won that ball game. It won't make one bit of difference who won that ball. But I'll tell you what will make a difference. Jesus said there's not a greater man that's ever been born than John the Baptist. But did you see what he said? The least, the least the least in the kingdom is greater than he. That's shouting ground right there, brother. That's shouting ground. What do you have to do? You have to be in the kingdom. That's all you have to do. You have to be in there. Are you in the kingdom today? I want to tell you, if you're in the kingdom, it doesn't matter if your football team loses every game. You might want to get a new coach, but it doesn't matter if you lose every game. When you're in the kingdom, it doesn't matter what happened on the football field. What does matter is what happened when you were born again, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and someday you'll stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you'll hear him call your name because you're in his kingdom. That's shouting ground there, brother. And do you think he'll withhold anything from his children? Not one good thing will he withhold. Some of you are having a rough time. Some of you have loved ones that are ill. I know. I've been there and done that. Some of you are having a rough time on your job. I understand that. Some of you are having health problems. I understand that. But I want to tell you this. God is preparing a place for us where nobody ever gets old and feeble, where nobody ever loses their memory, where nobody ever gets a terminal illness, where there's never a storm cloud on the horizon. There's no sun by day or moon and stars by night because the Lamb himself is the light of God in that city. 
And this, this word promises. It promises. One day, God says, I'll wipe away all tears from your eyes. There's an old gospel song that says, no tears in heaven. That gospel song is almost right. Almost. You say, what's wrong about it? Well, if the Bible says God wipes away our tears, they have to be tears. But only for a moment. Only, you know why I think we're going to weep? Because I think when we see Jesus and we look into that loving face and those loving eyes and we see those nail-pierced hands and we see those places on his brow where those thorns were pushed down in his brow, when we see him, for the very first time, for the very first time, we're going to realize what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. And that's why he said, there's never been a greater man among all the men born of women than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom is greater than he. Oh, I want to tell you, you're a king's kid. Amen. Amen. You might not have been born in Great Britain to royalty, but I want to tell you, when Jesus is your Savior, you're a child of the King. And you're a joint heir with Him of everything God has. It's time we celebrate that. Where does Christmas begin? Christmas began in eternity, a long time before any of us were ever thought about, except for God. When God said, there will be a redeemer and he will be my son and he will pay for the sins of his people never been a greater man born of women than John but the least in the kingdom is greater than he Jesus said it and it's true let's pray together Father, thank you for this word from you this morning. Lord, I thank you that we can turn to your word and find comfort. We can turn to your word and find strength. We can turn to your word and find encouragement. Lord, we can turn to your word and find reason to shout. Not because demon spirits are subject to us. Not because miracles are done. But because our names are written in the book of life. And we thank you for that this morning. Father, if there's someone here today that's not saved, or if they're not sure they're saved, or if they need a church home, or if they need to be baptized, or if they just need to come to the altar, maybe, Lord, they just want to come to the altar, let you encourage them today. I thank you, God, that you are a source of help in times of trouble. And, Father, I pray today that those who need you in a special way would find you to be what you promised to be. The God who loves us and who meets all of our needs through his riches in Christ Jesus. And we make this prayer and give this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.